It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, September 17th, after the LA Galaxy's 5-3 loss to Toronto FC and ahead of the Galaxy's matchup with the Seattle Sounders coming up on Sunday, September 23rd. A busy week ahead for the LA Galaxy as they attempt to lick their wounds, uh, maybe turn their sights towards, uh, towards the postseason in terms of waving goodbye to it. Uh, and, and taking on a Seattle Sounders team that is uh, the hottest team in Major League Soccer and has been for quite some time. So a bunch of things to get to. Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores his 500th goal. All sorts of fun things to get to, but let's start where we always do by welcoming back Mr. Kevin Baxter, the panda himself. Panda, how's it going, buddy? Well, I'm more worried about how you are. When I last saw you after the mini golf tournament, man, you were bruised and bleeding. You took quite a pounding from me out there on the golf course. It's, it, again, I, I feel like the panda's strong suit isn't numbers, and that worries me a little bit. See, so the lower score in golf um, is is the winner there. And being I had a 52, and you had higher than that. Um, that oh, wait, wait a minute. I thought the high score won. Yeah, see, I knew, I knew by the way you were playing, I knew that that's uh, that's how what you were thinking. I didn't want well, to correct well, you. Well, wait, well, okay, okay. So the low score wins, but then yes. I need to point out that the lovely Mrs. Patosita was the one that was counting up the scores. Yes. Yes. So uh, I don't know. I think so, maybe I should ask for an independent recount. So, so, I, I know you could do it. I saw you trying to add up Michael Bradley's. Uh, career appearances today, and once you get past twenty, where you can't use your fingers and toes anymore, yes. you get kind of lost. So yeah, this is I don't true. know. Maybe Mrs. Petosita is the, the same way. And once you guys got up into those high numbers, this is kind of like the Supreme Court recounting the ballots mm -hmm. and uh, declaring a Republican the presidential yes. winner. I mean, that's never happened before. So yeah. I'm a little. May, maybe I really did win. I think we. I. I I'm going to demand a recount. Not only that, but remember, I was the one who was actually writing down the scores as well. I figured that that would be a lot to ask for you, being that you were you're dressed in your full golf uh, regalia there, and uh, you had to carry around your little your little plastic set of cl well, you, clubs. You know what people said to me about that full golf regalia? What? They, everyone was telling me that I looked marvelous. That's right. You did. You did. You look. You know what, Kevin? I will say to this: you committed. You went for it. And and you, you didn't care. You didn't care what you looked like. And I appreciated that 100%. And by the way, your outfit looked a lot better than mine, where I just wore the Panda and Pato t-shirt and then sweated through it for the entire time. But we did have, and in case you didn't pick up on it, of course, our very first ever uh, Panda and Pato Invitational, mini golf Invitational there. Um, and so it was, it was, I thought it was great. We had a great turnout. About 15 people showed up. Um, we had a great time. I enjoyed the heck out of that, Kevin. I told you that we needed to do it again. And I think December, we're going to have to, we wanted to cool down a little bit, I think, but in yeah. December off season, I think we need to do another one and, and invite everybody out. Um, but we had, I finished second in, in, in the overall, I felt pretty good about that being, I didn't play very well, Kevin. Uh, you finished in the middle of the pack. A lot of people are right around that 55 mark. I shot 52. Uh, my wife did have the highest score, um, but being she's related to me, she couldn't win the worst golfer um, trophy. So uh, we had some great guys uh, from LA is our house who came out. Uh, David and his sons came out, so that was great to see. Um, and then we also had some. It was like a pod, it was podcast love, is what it was. The news across the 
Galaxy guys, the Nag guys, uh, were out there as well. And uh, our, our winner, uh, Bryant, with a 45, uh, wins the first ever uh, uh, Panda and Pato Mini Golf Invitational. Uh, and then his partner on News Across the Galaxy there, um, Eddie. Eddie shot a 64, and he has won the uh, the ever popular, uh, the very gorgeous looking, and uh, it, it is it is it is the best trophy we've ever come up with, Kevin. Uh, the plastic spatula award, of course, went to uh, to Eddie with the 64. So uh, it was it was a good time. We had a good time. Did you 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 at least you, you played pretty well? I have to say, you played a lot better than I thought you were going to play. Well, well, gee, that's <laughs> a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I have to say, if we're going to do this again in December, um, you know, we got to get some Galaxy players out there. We know they're not going to be doing anything in November right. or December, so um, <laughs> they can come out. And, and speaking of people shooting 64s and 70, uh, we could segue into something else right now. Uh, other people who are not very good at sports-like pursuits are the Galaxy back line. I was going to say, uh, yeah. yeah that mean, was, that it, was another uh, five goals again, Kevin. Five goals again. Well, Paul Carr, who used to be with ESPN and now is with a group called True Media Sports, had a great stat that he tweeted out uh, yesterday, I believe it was. He said, in the first 21 seasons, the Galaxy gave up five or more goals in a game. 662 games, they gave up five or more goals in a game once every 110 games. They did it, they did it uh, six times. Six times. Yeah. Six times. Once every 110 games in the first 21 seasons. In the last 63 games, in other words, last season and this season, they've given up five or more goals uh already five times yeah, right and yeah, that's, that's once correct. every 12.6 games so uh something is going wrong they've given up 59 goals this season in 29 games that's 2.03 a game they will break the season season uh, single season record which was set last season of 67 goals if, if they continue to give up goals at that pace and looking at their opponents they have coming up i believe they are going to give up another at least eight goals which would tie the record nine would break the record um, it's interesting. Ziggy Schmidt had always had said all year before he was uh, summarily fired, had said that he was not a defensive coach. It, it, people keep saying that he was a defensive coach, and he didn't believe that was true. I think he just proved that he's not a defensive coach when you look at the stats from this season. Yeah, I was going to say Dominic Kinnear probably also saying that. Yeah, if you if you go out and you actually project what the LA Galaxy will uh, will give up if you use that 2.034 goals per game, uh, basically it's 69 goals, which would beat 2017 with 67 goals, and it would beat 2008 with 62 goals. Those are the top three if that projects out correctly as we're looking at it. But Kevin, there's there's something, there's the opposite something that is going on right now, and people are not paying attention to this. All right, there is a huge I bet you're gonna tell me about it. I am gonna tell you about it. There's a huge, huge other side to that whole defense is horrible. It's that the LA Galaxy offense, the 2018 LA Galaxy offense, could be one of the top LA Galaxy offenses to have ever played. The game, in terms of the franchise history, the LA Galaxy uh, currently sitting at, tw- at let's see if I can get it uh, at 54 goals scored. And you said, okay, that's not bad. Well, the 54 goals score actually puts them probably in the upper third of all of the franchise uh, finishes there for the LA Galaxy. But not only that, the 54 goals right now is projected at 1.862 goals per game. And if that continues, they're projected out to hit 63.31 goals per game, or 63, 64 goals. If they go 63 goals, 
If they can score 63 goals, as is projected out, that will put them in third place overall in Galaxy history of those prolific offenses that you've seen. So 2018 would be 63 goals, 2014, 69 goals, and 1998, which is just a ridiculous year where they didn't play as many games and God only knows uh, what, what the actual score lines look like. And if you ever want to go back and see 1998 and see how kind of crazy it was, uh, they scored 85 goals in 1998. So uh, they're never going to reach that, but at 63 goals, we're missing... I mean, the travesty of all of this is you're missing one of the top offensive performances ever by an LA Galaxy team, and the reason you're not paying any attention to it is because on the flip side, they're actually giving up more goals than they're scoring. Right. That's where I was going to point out the, uh, the the once again typically obvious hole in your logic is they they are scoring a lot of goals, but they have a goal differential of minus five. Right. How many goals did they score against Toronto this weekend? They scored three. Now, if they score three goals a game for the whole season, they're going to score over 100 goals. That would be their, uh, you know, if they score, if their average goals per game is three, they're going to score over 100 goals. You know what they gave up? Five. Five. They still lost. Yeah. That's still, you know, a one-game goal deficit of minus two. So it, it's great. You know, if you score four, five, six goals a game, but you give up seven, you still lose. Yeah, that is that does seem to tend to be how it works. Uh, I've been I've been following along with that as well. Yeah, I mean, for this LA Galaxy team, listening was a lot of the same. I would say this, that, you know, you had interim head coach there, Dominic Kinnear, coming in and putting in a lineup that is at least on the surface, looked like it was going to play differently. Uh, I would say that the LA Galaxy lined up in a 4-3-3. I think that Spectrum would disagree. I don't know how Spectrum and the LA Galaxy can't get on the same page in terms of what the lineup is, being the LA Galaxy literally tells Spectrum what the lineup is going to be, Kevin. Uh, So either the LA Galaxy put out a graphic that isn't correct, which they put it in more of a 4-3-3 than than a 4-5-1, or... Uh, or Spectrum decided that the 4-3-3 didn't look quite right, and so they put it in a 4-5-1. Um, I, I don't know how that gets crossed up, but however it gets done, that's what happened. And the Galaxy did play more of, a, I would say, a 4-3-3 than they did a 4-5-1 with Zlatan Ibrahimovic being the lone striker and Ola Kamara then being more of an outside presence with Roman Alessandrini on the other side. The other sort of surprise, at least it was a surprise to some, I wasn't really that surprised. Bradford Jameson coming in and getting a start for the first time, I think, since July 4th. The other, the other addition was Baggio Husidic. Kevin, I was not surprised by this one at all. Baggio Husidic on the bench and eventually coming into this game um, against Toronto. And I think the last time he played was July 4th as well. Um, so you you look at all these things that, that sort of changed under Dominic Kinnear and where we certainly think, I, at least in my mind, Kevin, some of the grievances that we have heard of over the time of people not getting playing minutes were somewhat rectified, at least in this single game at this single point with Bradford Jamison getting a bunch of minutes and with Baggio who said it's also getting some minutes. So for me, um, you know, it, it made a lot of sense to see what Dominic Kinnear sort of brought to this. Well, uh, as everyone knows, I, I did meet with Ziggy last week and he was not able to talk to me, at least on the record about a lot of things involving the club that he's contractually obligated uh, not to freely speak about those things, um, but but we did talk in general at, in generalities. Did I say that right? Yeah, not g- even close. G- general, yes, sir. Yeah, oh, we yeah. kind of talked about stuff. Um, and, and he, you know, there were some things that that he talked about that I, I don't think violated the the terms of the contract, like Bradford Jamison. He said he really wanted to give him more playing minutes, but um, you know there was the injury problems early in the season, and then he just didn't fit into what Ziggy was trying to do at certain times after that, and he didn't really find a place to fit Bradford in and get him some more minutes. Um, he did tell me too, that he said that he thought that they were going to really hunker down and play defensively 
uh, in the Toronto game, and he was that that he and Dom had already sort of game planned for that. And I don't know if that was the lineup that Ziggy expected. He was expecting a very defensive lineup. If in fact that's the way that they wanted to play, and they still give up five goals. That's a bad thing. But, you know, looking at the standings here, do you know two teams have already been eliminated from the playoff race? And one of them is not the Galaxy. It's Colorado and San Jose, the only two teams that have been eliminated. But the Galaxy really, I mean, if you look realistically, they're, they're sort of just mathematically alive. Yes, there is a way you can do the math and, and get them in. But since the MLS playoffs went to to the, the uh, format it's using now where six teams make the playoffs, um, the lowest number of points that have ever gotten in is uh, Philly in uh, 2016. They had 42 points. For the Galaxy to get to 42 points, of course, they have 38 now. So the Galaxy would have to uh, win and then tie. They'd have to get four points in their last five games. And they would have to hope that Portland and Seattle, ahead of them, do not get any points. Uh, well, and still, that doesn't get them yeah, there. It doesn't at, even. At yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. was going to say, there are already teams at 40 points. points. Yeah, exactly. Seven points in the last in their last five games and then hope that Seattle and Portland don't get any points. That's all th- that whole scenario. I can't even say it. It's uh, more, it's even more unlikely to actually happen, uh, especially when you look at who the galaxy have coming up. I mean, they have Seattle at home. Um, Seattle's red hot right now. And the galaxy have always struggled with Seattle. That's a tough game. Then they have Vancouver coming in another playoff team, um, uh, you know, right ahead of the galaxy and standings two points ahead of them. That could be a tough game. Then they go to Sporting Kansas City, where they have always struggled. Even when Sporting Kansas City played uh, at Arrowhead Stadium, they had trouble with them. So these are three traditionally tough teams for the Galaxy to play against. And, you know, as we said, they need seven points, and they need Seattle and Portland not to win again, uh, um, and not even to draw again, to lose everything uh, from here on out. And and Seattle has seven – excuse yeah, Seattle has seven games left. I don't see them losing all seven games. Well, so, well, you know, the Galaxy is really up against it. Yeah, I was going to say, Seattle's not, not – it doesn't seem like Seattle wants to do anything uh, except win right now. They're on a nine-game win streak. So uh, and But not only that, nine-game win streak, 12-game unbeaten streak. So uh, the Galaxy already played them once during this win streak, and it looks like <laughs> they're going to get them again. Now, you know, just looking ahead a little bit to that, Seattle does play a midweek what, what game. Score that, what was that score that game, by the way? Which one? When, the, when they played them earlier. Oh, 5 nothing. That was the 5 yes, nothing game. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, 16 goals in their last three road games the Galaxy have given up. Ooh, that's a, that's a lot of goals, Kevin. That's a lot of goals. And, and this game, this was a, this was a, hey, if we're going to take any positives out of this game, which I think you can. Uh, it's that the Galaxy gave up three goals. That wasn't the positive. The Galaxy gave up three goals and, and did it rapidly. Um, you know, the fact that uh, that uh, Toronto scored uh, in the fifth minute, the 16th minute, and the 36th minute certainly doesn't help. But the fact, again, that Zlatan Ibrahimovic gets his 500th and the Galaxy then rallied to get two more goals to basically go from 3 nothing to 3-3. That's something. That's something there. Now, the fact that the Galaxy then gave up a goal in the 75th minute and then the last one in the 90th and in the uh, 94th minute, you can sort of throw that one out. That game was already over by that time. So um, that's 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 how it goes. But, but, but you know, yeah. being positive, they fought back from 3-0 down. They did. They could have just given up. They're on the road. They're on the road. They're, they haven't won since July 29th. They have a new coach. Um, as we just spoke about, even before that game started, they were in trouble with playoffs. It would have been super easy for them, I think, at that point to just quit. Well, uh, they didn't. They came back. And you, to your point about the goal scored, you know, the last two road games they've lost, obviously. They've scored five goals. That's good enough, should be good enough on the road to get at least a point. But, in fact, the Galaxy have been outscored in those two games 11-5. to, to five. So you're right. They are scoring. But when you're giving up five and a half goals a game, you're not going to win a whole lot. 
Yeah, I was going to say, the Galaxy also got six yellow cards in this match. Uh, there were ten total yellow cards in this match. This match was a bit of a mess. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, Jorgen Shelvik actually had to be subbed off in this game, uh, mostly because the Galaxy were afraid that he was going to get uh, a second yellow card. It, it sort of brought up an interesting situation. Uh, it was certainly a question that, <laughs> that flashed across uh, supporters' minds. I could see it on Twitter. I, could, I even asked the question myself, is, are the Galaxy better off letting Jorgen Shelvik pick up his second yellow card and going down to 10 men? Uh, or was it better to sub off Jorgen Shelvik and bring on Michael Ciani, who has been uh, nothing short of awful? Um, I would say the Galaxy's midfield certainly struggled uh, tremendously in this game as well. Uh, I think that Perry Kitchen has been missing in action now for maybe the last three, four, five games. Um, and so you'd really expect for him to sort of pull out of this tailed dive he's in if he expects to be that full-on starter next season. And, you know, quite honestly, his contract sort of dictates that he is that starter. It doesn't mean that he will be. Um, but he he really should be with as much money as he's getting paid. Um, so you saw that. I thought that you know some, there was some good moments. I'll, I'll tell you. You know who the man of the match was, Kevin, which is which almost blows somebody's mind uh, in a lot of ways. But you know maybe maybe that's unfair to even say that. Jonathan Dos Santos was the man of the match. Uh, I thought he played very well. Maybe not so much on the defensive side. I would have liked to see him a little better on defensive, but that's always been my wish for him. But uh, box-to-box-wise, he finished with two assists on the night. Um, yeah, he had the assist on Zlatan's 500. He did, and it was a great pass. Now, you know, Zlatan's 500. Let's just, let's just stop for a second and admire the ridiculousness that we have seen this year from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, Kevin, the, the Galaxy will probably let the fans vote on MVP this year because it's going to be a landslide for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, if there was any question mark about it, they, of course, would let the, uh, the media vote on it like they did last year uh, to make sure Giovanni Dos Santos didn't win it again. Um, they, don't, they don't like us. I don't think we get the vote this year. Yeah, we, we, I think we'll probably get... disenfranchised. We'll, we'll probably get the, the defensive player of the year. That'll be us. We'll, we'll get to decide that one, which will be... Uh, Ooh, well, yeah, I was going to say... tough one. Right? <laughs> I've been thinking about that now for a couple we weeks. eliminate Siani to start. I, so that puts us down a Throw him guys. out. I mean, you know, you can't... I can't say it's Ashley Cole because I don't think Ashley Cole has played particularly well. Um, I'm not going to give it to Perry Kitchen, who you could give to in terms of defense because he's a defensive midfielder. Um, I don't think you give it to uh, Rolf's been hurt too much. Rolf's been hurt. Shelvick. Shelvick, Shelvick has, I don't know. I, you can't, I don't know that you could give it to Shelvick. Dave I, Romney. D- I don't know that. I listen, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of Dave Romney's. I don't know that you could give it to Dave Romney. The defense has not done anything to elicit an award of defender of the year. Is it David Bingham? No, and, but I'd almost like to give it to David Bingham, quite honestly, because the man has faced... Uh, I actually have this stat somewhere. The man has faced 166 shots this year so far, and he's made 107 saves, all right? I mean, come on. There's got to be something there that you can do. The, the dude's in a shooting gallery right now, Kevin. He's like a duck in the old-time cartoons as they're trying yeah, to plink him as he's going why, across. You know, we, we point out the stats just because they're so ridiculous. 16 goals in the last three road games. And we point that out because it, it's just, uh, you know, you can't get your mind around it. But I'm not so sure that I'm going to say that David Bingham's played poorly. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but you're right. He's shell-shocked right now. He, he totally is. It's, it's just... Shots are flying at him from all kinds of different directions. He's getting no help from his defenders. And you can see on some of them, he expects a defender to move over. He expects to get that help. He anticipates that it's going to be there because the, you know he's playing with professionals. And then the help doesn't show up. And, and so I know it sounds ridiculous. I'm not saying David Bingham's had a great year. I would not vote for him defender of the year. I'm not saying he's had a, an even uh, a good year. But he hasn't had as awful a year as you might 
guess from looking at the stats. And again, I'll, I'll equate it to, to Dan Kennedy when he was playing for Chivas and gave up just a ton of goals, but actually played really, really well. I, I, if I had, if someone put a gun to my head and I had to vote for Defender of the Year, I think I would vote for Romney, partly because, well, yeah, he's been very versatile. He's played everywhere, and I think that that's made him very valuable. He's played all four spots on the back line. He's even played a little bit as a winger. He's done everything that's been asked, and he's probably been the less awful of all the people on the back line. Might be the best way to put it. <laughs> it's like when Leonardo won Defender of the Year. You know, it was like he he deserved to win the Defender of the Year because everybody else was was kind of awful around him, and he just was was steady. So yeah, I mean Romney could win. To, I I honestly I keep. I keep just talking myself in circles around that. But going back to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, have we seen just the most ridiculous goals this year from Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Are we again, you know, not to not to uh, to to hit my point that I was talking about before about the offense and what we have seen from this LA Galaxy offense this year and the historical nature of what we have seen, but you know, add to that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who will be MVP of the LA Galaxy this year, and rightfully so. He has absolutely been their most valuable player. Um, 17 goals. And then this roundhouse spin kick thing that he did to score his 500th goal is just, I mean, 499 was one that that went over the line, Kevin, but that uh, people didn't realize it went over the line until VAR scored. This one was, you know, emphatic. A great pass by Jonathan Del Santos. Uh, a, a clean, ridiculously looking finish. Who's He's garnered uh, all sorts of responses from Kobe Bryant to Paul Pogba. Um, all across the, the sports universe there has been commenting on Zlatan Ibrahimovic doing ridiculous Zlatan things. Um, and, and I don't know... I, one, are we? Is this fan base? Is the LA Galaxy? Is, is are they taking this for granted? Are, are we? Are we not quite putting this into the context we need to with Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Well, first of all, you know he also leads the team in assists. Yes, and he's tied Bob with Ashley Brad- Cole. Bob Bradley talked about that about how people don't understand what a great passer is because he scores goals and scores them in such incredible ways that people don't give him credit for. Uh, you know, his passing ability and his ability to set up goals. I, I think when you look at Zlatan, the question to ask is, and, and this puts it sort of in the proper perspective, what's his best goal of the season? Is it the one where he, you know, the, the Chicago goal was not a bad goal. It won that game one to nothing in unbelievably difficult conditions. It probably didn't look as great on TV, but having been there and seen it uh, and saw the conditions that he scored in, that was a remarkable goal. Then, then there were the two against LAFC, um, the first one, the the, the unbelievable 40-yard strike, um, uh, that that was incredible. But was that one better than the one in Toronto? Or, uh, and those two may not even make his top 10 all time. I mean, when you look at some of the uh, incredible highlight goals he scored, uh, they're unbelievable. And when you look at when you can't really can't pick out his best goal of the season, and you look at that 500th goal and saw how ridiculous it was, um, yeah, that's pretty incredible. I, I, I know that Zlatan's going to love having that on his highlight, his personal highlight reel as his 500th goal. Right. Um, but then, you know, the bad part about that is then Zlatan looks back and says, well, that, you know, we scored three goals in that game and we lost. The, the thing with, with Ibra, you know, he has not played on a losing team since he left Sweden and played when he was playing at Malmo. That's the first team he signed with. He has not played on a losing team in 18 years. And the Galaxy right now, they do not have a losing record. They may wind up with a losing record. But, um, you know, all of Zalatan's team is, have always been contenders, winners, teams that advance to European uh, championships, those kind of things. Um, in the MLS, where half the teams make the playoffs, you know, I, it really looks like right now they only have a mathematical chance to do it. So Zalatan having an incredible year, 
on a team that is probably, you know, the worst or second worst team that he's ever played on. And, and I wonder how he's dealing with that because he's used to having success, but he's also used to having success on a winning team. And um, it, it's got to be tough to, to put everything into it and to, to have a fantastic game and to score a goal like that and to come away with nothing. Well, I, I thought it was interesting, his comments after the game, and, and he was way more positive than I expected it to be. Maybe that was the high from scoring 500, uh, and he certainly thinks it was a fantastic goal himself, and it was. And if you're trying to... I think the skill that happened on number 500, um, while I certainly acknowledge there's a ton of skill that it takes to score from, you know, just over the midway line and from, you know, 45 yards out and to chip the keeper and all that fun stuff and the swerve he put on the ball. I understand all the skill involved. The the spinning roundhouse, spinning almost in the opposite direction of which way he needed to go and the separation that he was able to find and, you know, getting it with almost the outside of his foot and catching. I mean, just the ridiculous timing of everything that happened in 500 may, may in my mind, stick that one above. His his first goal with the LA Galaxy in the long distance shot, and certainly there's been some really good ones. But his positivity after this game struck me, um, and he said uh, after the game about his thoughts on the game. He said, "I think we had a good game. Second half, the first 25 30 minutes, I thought we did good, and I think and I and I think we get we got overconfident. We didn't stick to the plan. The organization the organization and they punished us. It was difficult because we came back from three nothing. So I think we did a good game. The guys should get compliments. We haven't been this organized for a while, so it was positive, but still negative in the way we lost. So um, heaping an awful lot of confidence on the fact that the Galaxy got blown out five to three, but certainly you know praising the comeback as as I think you and I are the three nothing to three three is a huge turn for the LA Galaxy I mean this was a team that was dead at three nothing and came back and scored three very nice goals um and did it in a fashion that really put the pressure on Toronto and Toronto's uh, not a good team this year we all know that um we've seen it through throughout the entire season the defending champs have not found that you know return to glory and it's difficult to win after championships it was something i've talked about ad nauseum after the championships of 11 and and 2012 and 2014 um that it's difficult to win back-to-back championships Uh, the galaxy only did it once and you saw the down downward uh face they did in 2013 and then uh, again in 2015 so and, and 2016 quite honestly so, I mean, all that stuff is there, but for Zlatan to be positive, Kevin, it makes me feel like he's he's invested in this club a little bit, and and there's lots of people, and I see it from fans all the time, saying, oh, there's no way Zlatan comes back next year. He's just not going to put up with this, and while I think that the LA Galaxy organization is totally dysfunctional, uh, that they totally don't deserve have, to have Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back for next year, I don't, in my mind right now, there's no doubt that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is invested in the Galaxy and wants to have a championship team for next year and is already looking towards that and building that. Well, a couple of things. First of all, you talk about the, the bad years of 2013 and 2015. Those were the halcyon days compared to now. I mean, those teams went to the playoffs. I think we'd take that, those seasons as difficult as they may have been or felt at that time. We take those in a heartbeat right now. You know, the Galaxy's only missed the playoffs four times in their entire history. Uh, they're going to miss it uh, in consecutive years for the second time ever if they don't, you know, have a miracle finish. And again, it's sort of mathematical possibilities right now. But as far as a lot of time, a couple of things. Um, I, did the Galaxy say they're searching for a coach? They say that Dom, Dominic Kinnear is not is an is a caretaker manager that he's not going to get the full time job. He'll probably be considered, but they're not going to bring him in. That's not their plan. I think they're really looking at Greg Berhalter. That's the guy they want. Um, he was groomed with the Galaxy. I think the Galaxy and AEG in their heart of hearts feels like Berhalter owes them one because 
he wouldn't have a coaching career most likely if it wasn't for them. So I think that they feel like uh, he, they should get a home down, uh, hometown discount. Calo Porter, another guy looking for a job, uh, Chris Klein's college roommate, um, used to be the Portland Timbers, is another guy that they could bring in. And, and I'm uh, kind of curious to find out whether Zolotan gets to be part of that, whether he gets veto power, whether they consult him. Um, you know, he knows people like David Moynes and some of the other names that you heard tossed about, the European names. I don't know if he knows Caleb Porter from Greg Berhalter from from Ziggy Schmidt before he got here. I mean, I just don't know what his knowledge on on that is and whether whether they would come to him and talk to him and ask him who he wants to play for. But the other point I was going to make is, so a lot of time, a lot of people, because of some of this, the public statements he makes, and, and trust me, it's all an act. I did not want to like the guy when he came here because I had read those comments in black and white. And then thought the guy was very egotistical and really wasn't a student of the game and didn't appreciate uh, the game the, the way that I thought someone of his ilk should have. It's all an act. Zolotan is incredibly intelligent, has a, a tremendously high soccer IQ. And the one thing that impresses me on some of these highlight reel goals is how they came about. The, the, the strike against LAFC – he said that he was winded. He hadn't played it. Remember, he hadn't played in several months, and it was a hot day, and it was an afternoon game, and it was his first appearance. He had just gotten off a plane. He said he was winded and couldn't move, and he had decided uh, before the ball came to him that the next time the ball came to him, the first he was going to shoot from wherever he was because that was his best chance to score. It led to a goal, and then he wound up scoring the, the winning goal uh, right as uh, at the end of regulation. You know, the goal in, in Chicago, again, with the conditions, he scored on a header. He just basically hung out in front of the net because he knew that the wind was in, uh, going with the Galaxy at that point in the game. He was very smart. He read the conditions. He read the goalkeeper, and he scored on a header. I believe that was in first-half stoppage time to win that game. So uh, seeing him react to the game conditions, seeing him react to his own fitness and his own abilities at that time, what he's doing well, I, I think you could look at probably half of his 17 goals and say that there was something that Zolotan saw or felt or noticed that led to that goal that other players don't pick up on. He's incredibly intelligent when it comes to uh, his soccer IQ. Well, and, and we heard, and, and there's certainly been whispers that Zlatan Ibrahimovic may have had something to do with Siggy Schmidt's dismissal, although, you know, it doesn't seem to be founded in a lot of fact, but, you know, it's something that Chris Klein denied on the conference call, um, said that that was not part of, you know, any decision that they had. But I would have to imagine that with, uh, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic being the character that he is, being the personality he is, having the, you know, just sort of the, the way the world sort of revolves around Zlatan in so many ways, especially the soccer world, um, that he wouldn't have some sort of say in the next manager. Now, I mean, here's the problem is I, I seem to remember a, a, a world superstar coming to the LA Galaxy and having the say over, uh, over the manager coming in, and it didn't exactly work out well for the LA Galaxy. So, I mean, you're looking for an organization that can stay strong against possibly a, a very forceful guy like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that he has influenced anything at any time. And Chris Klein flat out denied and said that if you, you know him and his personality, that he would never do that. But I also find it hard to believe that with his personality and the way that he is, and like you said, Kevin, it may be an act, but he is a very competitive person. If he thinks that he could influence the next coach to come in and, you know, whatever that name is, maybe it's a bigger name than you and I could possibly even fathom. Uh, Jose Mourinho. Yeah, of course. I'm sure. I'm sure he loves uh, Jose once once he gets fired from uh, from Manchester United. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it could be something like that. It could be that big. And then it's about the LA Galaxy and how they handle and support that coach. Because certainly you would look at a general manager. You need to bring in a general manager from anybody. Any coach coming in from Europe, in my mind, 
uh, or anywhere outside of Major League Soccer needs a general manager or a or a team executive to sit there and be giving them the rules of the league and they have to understand the intricacies of the rules of the league and be able to communicate that with a coach. So whenever they're going after the next big name, one of the reasons Greg Berhalter is such an attractive option for the LA Galaxy, as, as you've already you know, pointed out, Kevin, is because he's in Major League Soccer and he understands the rules and he has built something in Columbus. And with the resources of the LA Galaxy, you would hope that he would be able to build something in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, David Moyes might also be somebody like that, that if, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic gets on the phone and says, hey, come on over, uh, maybe he could do that because he has a history of building with not a ton of funds. I know there's going to be people who push back on that, but certainly with Everton, uh, Moist was was a guy who who really did a lot with a little bit. And in Major League Soccer, I feel like that's what you have to do. You have to be able to do a lot with a little because you get the big names. You get the big splashes, and you have to get those correct. Um, and you can have an argument, Kevin, of whether or not the LA Galaxy have gotten the big names correct in recent years and whether or not the coaches have been at fault for that or whether or not that's been uh, been other issues with the LA Galaxy organization that has certainly pushed, you know, shiny objects like uh, Steven Gerrard or, um, or you know, Giovanni Dos Santos, Jonathan Dos Santos um, onto the LA Galaxy and onto the field. You could say that. But, you know, with, with Moise, what you would hope is that whoever you're bringing in is able to find those complementary players Kevin, and I think you said on this show before that that Siggy Schmidt said the hardest players in the world are the guys who play, you know, between a hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and getting those guys to perform because those are the guys who are going to start all the time and be on the field all the time, but they're not the huge big name star players that you know have all this stuff going for them. Well, a couple, a bunch of things there. Uh, first of all, one one coach we can cross off the list right now is Pep Guardiola because Zlatan hates him, and there's no way Pep's coming to MLS, anyways. But even talking about David Moyes, the reason I think that I know that name's been that name has come up, and it's come up with the national team, which is a little bit more of a possibility. You're not going to get a big name European coach to come to MLS. Why? Because even at Everton um, and some of the lesser clubs that David Moyes was with, um, you know, he was paying his fourth string goalkeeper more than the entire uh, salary budget of many MLS teams. So the idea of coming over and trying to get a guy at a hundred thousand to be your starting left back. And, and how do I fit under the, the $4 million salary cap? How do I fit my players under that? That, that is so otherworldly for those guys that uh, there is no way that they uh, can get their minds around it. So I don't see a big name premier league or, or European coach coming over, maybe a, a guy who's coached at the, you know, in the championship or the second or third level well, in Europe. Yeah, maybe. I, I just don't see a David Moyes. Now, as far as Zalatan's part in this in talking to Ziggy, and again, I have to be really careful because there, uh, there are a lot of things that he's not allowed to say publicly and I, I don't want to get him in trouble. And I don't think either one of us really know where the line is uh, about what he's allowed to say and what he can't say. Um, but as far as Zalatan, I, I, the idea that Zalatan might have stabbed Ziggy in the back, I, I didn't get that impression from either Zalatan or from Ziggy. Uh, if there was any, if his, if he had any input on that, I think it might have been somebody came to him in the front office and said, "We're thinking of making a switch. What do you think?" And Ziggy and Zalatan might have said, "Look, the team's not reacting well, or we need to do something. The season's getting away from it." I don't think it was Zalatan going to the front office and saying, "Get rid of this guy." I think if anything. They asked a lot. They may have asked a lot of time what he thought, and and I think he probably would have answered honestly and said, "We're not going very well right now, and and maybe a change is good." And that's kind of the impression I got with Ziggy. He did think there were other guys in the dressing room uh, who might have stabbed him in the back. He did say he got a very long uh, and very nice message from Jonathan Dos Santos, thanking him for all that he had done for Jonathan, and 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 saying he was sorry to see him move on. Um, but I so I don't think 
Salatan would have, would have stabbed him in the back. I think if anything, it might have been just a little bit of input, what he thought about the possibility of making a coaching change. And the last thing I'll say, when you talk about Greg Berhalter or any other coach, Ziggy thought he was general manager, and it turned out he really wasn't general manager. He thought he was in charge. Of, and this is this is me talking. This is not Ziggy. This is my observations. Ziggy came in and was supposed to be general manager. He wasn't. He was supposed to be in charge of player personnel. He was continually frustrated when he tried to make moves. So if if you bring a manager in, like a Greg Berhalter or someone who's used to doing that, uh, I would advise them to get crystal clear in writing, uh, you know, in, in a stone tablet if they need to get it that way, that this is all the things I'm in charge with. And you guys, uh, the front office, just say yes. That's all you need to do. I, I don't want to argue with you about it. I don't want to discuss it. I don't want you to tell me you don't have the money. If I'm in charge of this, I need to have carte blanche to do what I want. And I think that was the one place where Ziggy really ran up against it. Bruce got to do that. We know Kurt didn't get to. We know that Ziggy was promised that, and that never came about. So uh, Greg Berhalter or anyone else, they're only going to be as good as the players they can get. And and Ziggy was not able to fill the holes that he wanted to fill. He was frustrated by the front office. If they bring in another coach who's used to being a GM like a Greg Berhalter, he needs to get that in writing and preferably in a stone tablet to make sure that he has the control that he needs. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about this again next year. We're going to be firing another coach and talking about who else we bring in. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the coaches, and I, I talked about it on Thursday night, Kevin, but if you look at the LA Galaxy, uh, right now, uh, from my knowledge, they are paying Kurt Anolfo through the end of this season because that's how long his contract was. Um, they will be paying, from my understanding, uh, Siggy Schmidt through the end of next year because um, that's how long his contract is. Uh, they're also paying um, they're, they're paying Dominic Kinnear to be the interim head coach. Um, while that's going on, you know that they're going to eventually uh, shuttle him off and they're going to bring in another head coach who they will be paying. So you're going to be paying for, 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 you know, at least at this season, you're paying for three. Um, you're probably paying for two or three next season. The fact that the LA Galaxy at one point, whenever they let Bruce Arena went and, and they got a little, little thrifty. Uh, in terms of how they were spending money, uh, certainly seemed to be hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging cash whenever it comes to their coaching decisions and their coach or coaching firings and replacements. Well, here's here's an interesting thing, and this is again what I've deduced, and and this is not this is my own observations from talking to a number of people. Um, the Galaxy still have money, and they still spend money. And it's not that they're saying we can't, we don't have the money, we're not going to spend it. It's that there are some people in the in the front office that micromanage uh, to the point where they frustrate everything else. So it's not that the Galaxy don't have money. Again, you look at Jordan Shelvick, and you know they gave him a million dollar contract, and Siani's got six hundred thousand. Now, are they worth it? No, of course not. But. The, that's how much they're taking home. When they get their check and they go to the bank, it doesn't bounce. And and so the money is there. It's just how they're how they spend it. Uh, Bruce again, no one got in Bruce's way. He got to do what he wanted. Uh, a lot of it worked. Some of it didn't. But the point is, he got to build the team the way he wanted. Up, up to so, a, up to a certain point, though, right? I mean, because we still we have talked many times about Giovanni Dos Santos being thrust upon Bruce Arena. Um, we talked about Steven Gerrard probably being thrust upon Bruce Arena. So, I mean, even Bruce Arena, who got to do mostly what he wanted to do, still had some some internal meddling there. Right, right. He was. I, I think that there's a little bit of a difference. So I think that they were that the front office said, "Here's this player." But if Bruce said, "I need a left back," like Ziggy was talking about he needed an outside back this year. They went out and got them. Bruce said, I want Ashley Cole and I want, you know, uh, Nigel DeYoung. And, and I mean, when he brought those three guys in, um, Nigel DeYoung, uh, Ashley Cole, who else came in with that class? There were three of them that came. I think Von Dom was the third one. Uh, you know, people are probably looking at that and say, how does that all fit together? Bruce had a plan. 
Yes, they also forced him to take Steven Gerrard and, and, and Gio Dos Santos, who he didn't want. But for the most part, I think Bruce got to do what he wanted. The Galaxy do have the money. It's that uh, since Bruce left, whether and, and this is what I can't get my hands around. There's one school of thought that I've been entertaining that, uh, you know, Bruce cast such a large shadow. Everybody that's in that front office was there when Bruce was there. Chris was the president. Uh, Pete had another role with the Academy. Yovan was still doing basically what what he's doing now. Um, and, and I think they all felt like they didn't get any credit for the incredible teams that were there. And I think that they want to do they want to be the anti Bruce. They want to do things in a different way and show that they're sharp and that they're smart and they can do it too. It hasn't worked out, but that's one school of thought. And then the other school of thought is Bruce kept everything so close to the vest that those guys really didn't learn anything. Bruce didn't share with them his decision making processes. So they're basically starting anew, even though they have years of experience. And I'm not sure which way it goes, but certainly the the, the Midas touch that Bruce has uh, or had is not there. And it's not a part, it's not a problem of spending. Even when they were cutting the budget, um, when they cut salary by, by a third, um, between the year that Bruce left and the year that Kurt started, they still had a record offer, uh, MLS record offer of more than uh, $8 million a season to Ibrahimovic on the table. Now he didn't take that, but my point is the money's always been there. The spending has not been the problem, how that money is spent and how the spending gets approved. I think that's where things get a little jammed up right now. Yeah, it seems to be. And certainly, I mean, you know, we've talked now a bunch on multiple shows about the health of this organization and where it's at. And and I would say that, you know, if you're expecting the LA Galaxy to get healthier without Siggy Schmidt, I would say that it's at its most unhealthy uh, right now than I've seen it for, for most of the time. Um, and so you're, you're not seeing this improvement. And the fact that this 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 front office is going to get to go on a, on a coaching hunt again. And, and we say again in quotation marks, really, because uh, Kevin, you and I have talked many times, Kurt Anolfo really was almost preordained as, as coming on, and whether or not Bruce Arena gave his blessing for that, as we were once led to believe, or whether or not the Galaxy quickly settled on, on Kurt Anolfo, there, there wasn't, it didn't feel like there was ever this massive search that went on uh, to find a new head coach whenever Bruce Arena left and that they were going to go with Kurt Anolfo. You know, then you talk about Siggy Schmidt, and Siggy Schmidt really romanced uh, uh, the LA Galaxy into giving him that job whenever Curtin uh, Alfo had played through 20 games, so you had that. So you Schmidt, so they didn't go out and really find somebody. Um, now they are, and this has to be a wide search. It has to be the widest search they've ever cast for a coach before, because they now have season. They have back-to-back seasons of of more than likely missing the playoffs, um, and they're coming on on just two atrocious years. And that, uh, as we've already said, is hiding the fact they have one of the best offenses in Major League Soccer and one of the best LA Galaxy offenses of all time. Um, well, this is an inflection point. I mean, you're not going to go to the playoffs. And you have Zlatan Ibrahimovic on your team, and you're not going to the playoffs. I mean, if that doesn't wake you up, uh, this is, uh, as you said, you know, a couple of years struggling. This coaching search has to be big. It has to be thorough. has to be quick. Right now, uh, it, it's, we're going to assume they're not going to make the playoffs, so they're going to have an early, pre- an early uh, offseason start. And they're going to go into that offseason without a general manager, without a full-time coach unless they give it to Dominic or hire somebody very quickly, which is unlikely given that the fact that the, the coach would probably come from within the MLS ranks and the playoffs will still be going on. So they have no general manager. Um, they really don't have a player personnel department. Right now it's one person deep, Kurt, and, and Jovan is kind of in the periphery of that. But So they have no general manager, no coach, no real deep player personnel um, uh, department, um, and no strategy, no plan at all. Ziggy had a two-year plan. That's gone up in smoke now. 
by definition, they've decided that they, that Ziggy's that Ziggy's ideas and plans were not right because they fired him. So it, it would not be wise if they were to fire the coach and then continue with his plan anyways. So they're going into the offseason, the most important offseason in their history, uh, you could argue, without a plan, without a coach, without a general manager, um, and no idea how to use the, these resources that we, we all agree that they have. And the other reason this is a big inflection point isn't just the two years of, of disaster on-field performance. Across town, LAFC is having probably the best season of any expansion team in MLS history, very likely to go to the playoffs, a chance to win the conference. No expansion team has ever finished atop the table in the conference standings um, and perhaps make a deep playoff run. Um, and other teams in MLS are very good this year, but this one is across town, and this is the one that's stealing the Galaxy's Thunder from right out uh, you know, from underneath them. And I think that they have to they have to win the battle of L.A. before they can win the battle of MLS, and they're losing that battle right now. Well, I mean, technically they're winning it on the field, but you're right that they're losing it. It, it, it's, it doesn't mean anything really for the Galaxy to have uh, not been defeated by LAFC in the regular season only to see LAFC you know, be playing for an MLS Cup or be playing in the, play, in the playoffs and being able to lord that over, over a Galaxy organization that has failed completely and totally in the years that they had to prepare for their, that exact arrival. Um, the Galaxy, if they had a proper plan in place whenever Bruce Arena left, Kevin, would be an MLS Cup contender this year. Uh, they will have, they would have ha- had to have rebuilt in 2017 with a proper plan in place. Um, they would have made, you know, maybe they would have made the playoffs, maybe they wouldn't if the proper plan is in place. They go into 2018 with a revamped sort of picking and, and choosing the different players instead of losing 15 players in, in the offseason, which is what they did between 2017 and 2018, and really starting over again in 2018. Now, without a proper plan, you go into 2019 not knowing if the new coach is going to start all over again or if they're going to build on the foundation that the Galaxy have. And I've said that the foundation the Galaxy have isn't horrible. They clearly have some deficiencies in the midfield and in defense, but mostly on the defensive side of the midfield. Um, so if they can shore those up, again, you have one of the top offenses in Major League Soccer this year. You have one of the top offenses of an LA Galaxy history if they project out correctly. If all of those things go correctly, you have one of the best offenses in Major League Soccer returning in 2019. You better have a plan for how to shore up that defense and how to make that offense good. And you better bring somebody in who's not just planning for 2019, but for 2020. Because the LA Galaxy missed out on their progression this year. Their progression should have been to make the playoffs, Kevin. Um, they should have been able to do that if the proper plan's in place from 2017 all the way through 2018. Uh, well, now now they, they don't have that, and in 2019, they should be MLS Cup contenders, which they have a chance to be if they do the right things, but without the proper plan in place, without the front office behind that plan, without a long-term situation and coach, they, they don't have it. They have nothing. Well, here's how dyslexic things have gotten. With Kurt Onofo, if you remember, the idea was we're going to promote from the academy and from the USL team from Galaxy 2. We were going to use our development system because we've spent a ton of money on it. That was Dan Beckerman's big point to me when we met is we've spent a ton of money on this. It's time to reap the benefits of this. And that sounded like a, a, a sound strategy. If the talent, in fact, was there, why not use it? So they go all in with the academy and the young kids, right? A, a year later, they've just completely jettisoned that strategy under Ziggy Schmidt. What happened to the academy system? No academy players on the team this year that I know of. I mean, Ephraim Alvarez has been around a little bit, but, uh, you know, Bradford Jamison, I think he might have come up through the developmental system. But for the most part, 
none of those guys, they, they didn't promote people from Galaxy 2 like they did for a game here and a game there. Bruce I would always do that. So they've complete, not only have they completely jettisoned that strategy, which means the Kurt and Awful year was an entirely lost year, they've gotten rid of most of those players. They do not even have a full-time academy director right now. The LAF, uh, The LA Galaxy, the team that invented the academy system, do not have a full-time academy director right now. Um, you know, that that right there kind of sums up the fact that the, the front office is completely lost. And the other thing about the front office and management, and this goes through AEG from, from all the Galaxy suits up through AEG, is in my mind, they're totally arrogant. I, I don't feel this arrogance from anybody on the field, the playing staff, uh, the players, the coaching staff. Uh, you know, anyone that's on the field, I don't get that feeling of arrogance, but the front office totally, it's almost like, it's kind of like Apollo Creed in the first Rocky fight. Like, I'm just going to show up and win. They seem to have this feeling that they just roll the ball out and because they're the LA Galaxy and they have that swagger that they're going to win and, and they've gotten fat and lazy and they're not hustling and the rest of MLS, they have not noticed that MLS has changed. LA Galaxy, one of the only teams, maybe the only team without a South American player on the roster. The league is completely gone nor, uh, South American, and you look at the big stars in the league, Joseph Martinez from Venezuela, Almiron, you know, uh, LAFC with Diego Rossi from Paraguay. Uh, uh, they've completely gone uh, away from all that and, um, you know, gone the other way, and the Galaxy simply have not kept up and have not um, um, you've seen that the league has changed. Yeah. And, uh, and again, it's not because they don't see it. I think it's just they – they feel arrogant about it. And by the way, it's Uruguay, not Paraguay. I oh. got my guys mixed up. It's, it's all right. It's, it's fine. Well, people are going to argue. They're going to say, Rolf Felcher, he's Venezuelan, except he was born in, in Switzerland. He, he sp spent his whole life there. Yeah. I think it's Nor yeah. yeah it's, uh, I think it's Switzerland. I, I really do. You should, you should check it. You should check it while I talk. But is Toronto still in the Caribbean? <laughs> yes, they are right next to it. That's how it is. Um, no, I mean, but that's 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 one of those things that, that certainly we've been talking about. You talk about academies. Uh, I did see an interesting article from uh, Will Parchman, who I consider the academy god. Um, he is more tuned into any academy in Major League Soccer than I will ever be attuned to just the LA Galaxy Academy. But he went and ranked all 23 youth uh, academy systems for all of Major League Soccer's teams and the LA Galaxy where you would expect them to be mm, with the way the first team has gone with the way that they have jettisoned that academy talent as of late Kevin you would expect them to be nowhere near the top so if I told you that the LA Galaxy currently sit and Will Parchman who I believe uh, I, I have to put this behind. I, I really have to pound this home. This is this is very important. Will Parchman knows more about the academy system in Major League Soccer than anybody else that I know and trust. So so Will, if Will says this, I believe it. He is the LA Galaxy Academy currently at number three in the league. So uh, only two spots down from the top. FC Dallas at number two. New York Red Bulls at number one. Uh, LAFC because they're new uh, because they really had to start over. Something is I think at twenty second right now um but in, remember in chivas usa they were a disaster in mls they had the best academy all the time please Ephraim alvarez came out of that a lot of great that's, players that's i was going to say that was the main reason that the la galaxy academy has been so good is the smartest thing that they ever did was just absorb as much of that chivas usa academy system that they had that they had uh mike so, munoz is one of those I, guys I think, too 
I think what what the academy does is it gives you a base, and and in my mind, that could totally be true. The Galaxy have a lot of top end talent in that academy. They do not have an academy director, but they have great players. And again, go back to the example of TVC USA, great academy, terrible team on the field because they wasted the, in that transition period between the academy and the first team. A lot of stuff was wasted, and I think that's where the Galaxy is right now. And again, going back, they have the monetary resources, they have the brain power. They have, as you just said, the academy. They have all the. They're playing in Southern California. Where else would you want to recruit players if you were starting an academy? Where would you want to be? Would you want to be here, or would you want to be in Salt Lake City? Yeah. This is the. They have everything that they need to be a successful, a dominating team, a dynasty as they were, and they're wasting those resources. And uh, again, you go back to there's just no organization. There's no plan, and we've talked about that. They're on their third plan in as many years, and none of them have come close to working. And they pull the plug on them too early before we could really see if there's anything to that. Who knows? Maybe Kurt Anoffel's plan was the plan. Maybe knowing that the academy system was there, maybe he just needed a year or two to make it work. They did. They gave him 20 games. Ziggy had a two-year plan. He didn't even last one year. So um, maybe it's time to actually set a plan and let it work. That God knows the resources are there, both in terms of players and in terms of money. Yeah, I don't know who has the patience. Here's the problem is that you've limited the patience um, of the of the fan base and, and of the supporters. And and quite honestly, you you burned those the time that you already had to get this right um, because you fired Adolfo after 20 games, and people will certainly say that it was time to go. You fire uh, Siggy Schmidt, I think, after 42 games total and 28 games this season. Um, so really in the season-wide uh, you know, search, uh, Siggy Schmidt lasted all of eight games longer than Kurt Adolfo. Um, and certainly there's people who are going to tell you that Kurt Adolfo and, and Siggy Schmidt both d- deserve to be fired. So all those things, you, you do that, but you, you're, you're not, you're, you've already wasted the patience of the fan base. You've wasted the patience of you know the greater Los Angeles area right now is that, hey, you've now sucked for two years in a row. What else do you, you know, if you don't come out, start winning immediately next year. Um, you know, there's going to be calls for wherever the coach is to go. I mean, you've lost that patience. You've lost that time to be able to tinker and do things with it. And by the way, I'd like to point out, you said, you know, where would you rather recruit either uh, Real Salt Lake or, or Southern California, Kevin? Uh, Real Salt Lake sits fourth in the academy right behind the LA Galaxy. So maybe maybe RSL is is the fruitful place uh, to find uh, find people as well. But uh, nonetheless, I'll go through all that. You've, you've lost the patience of everybody who follows this organization and you've soured relationships with your supporters. You've soured relationships, I think, with MLS coaches who might want to come in uh, and be part of the LA Galaxy, might have second thoughts about that now. You've soured relationships with players possibly wanting to come to the LA Galaxy or perhaps go somewhere else. You have shown everybody um, from the outside in, and if the if the front office isn't aware of this, then this is another issue as well. You've shown them that you're you're incompetent and that you have no patience and that you would rather blow things up than have a, a cohesive plan. And if that's the case, if I'm Greg Berhalter, Kevin, and you're offering for me to come in and, and fix this, why? Why would I even want to entertain that thought knowing that so far the two guys who have come in to try to fix things have gotten very little support um, and because of that, they've been uh, tossed out on their butts before the season's over. Well, yeah, uh, you make a very good point for yourself um, about the fact that the Galaxy right now, it's a toxic word around the league. You know, some coaches aren't taking the Galaxy's phone calls um, because it's be- become such a disaster. And it's strange. It, it's kind of like back in the day when when uh, the New York Yankees tried to hire managers 
everybody wants to go and manage the Yankees because the resources are so incredible. Just the same. Everyone wants to come to the Galaxy. Um, you know, a great stadium, a great training uh, facility, fantastic resources. But in with the Yankees, you had to work for George Steinbrenner. Here you have to work for this sort of toxic front office. And, and you know, coaches look at that and they say, man, that looks like a really good situation, but it looks like a really bad situation at the same time. Um, maybe what the – one thing the Galaxy could have done if they had been a little more humble is they could have said, look, we're in a rebuilding stage. we got to raise this foundation. we got to start over. Give us a year or two. Have a little bit of patience. Now, I don't know if that would have uh, flied and uh, flown. I don't know flown. if that would have worked in yes. Southern California with the Galaxy fan base because the Galaxy have been so unbelievably successful for such a long period of time. Uh, I don't want to say the fans have gotten spoiled, but they've certainly gotten used to winning, and they certainly have a high bar. They measure things in a much different way than any other team in MLS. Uh, but if they had said, look, we're rebuilding, we're starting over, Maybe that would have worked. You know, the Chicago Cubs did that when Theo Epstein came in, and they had three or four horrendous years. What happened? They won a World Series. The Lakers did that. They said, we're hiring Luke Walton. We're starting over. Kobe Bryant's gone. We got to start with young players. They brought in Luke Walton. And what happens? After a couple of really difficult years, they get LeBron James, and now they're talking about playing for a title. The Galaxy could potentially have done that. I don't know how that would have worked out. I don't know whether the fans would have would have uh, uh, you know allowed for that to happen. But the point is the Galaxy didn't. The Galaxy just said we're going to keep winning. We know what we're doing um and uh, we don't need to rebuild. And I I think perhaps that was a mistake and perhaps uh maybe they should have been a little bit more humble and looking at what they had and where they were going and what the possibilities were. They didn't do that. Well, not to uh, completely end this show on a, on a downer as well, but uh, now tracking 538.com's chances for the LA Galaxy to get in the playoffs, Kevin. Uh, we, I, I said very simply on, on Thursday's show, if the Galaxy win, their chances go up. If they lose, their chances will go down uh, because Vancouver lost. Uh, I think, uh, did Portland lose, lose as well? Um, I, I think there was there was a little bit of a, a stymie here in terms of there were two teams above the LA Galaxy in playoff positions who didn't pick up their points, and because of that, the LA Galaxy's chances didn't fall as dramatically as I expected. Going into the weekend, 11%, they lose to Toronto. Uh, their chances now at 9%, so single digits for the LA Galaxy to try to get in the playoffs. Yeah. I've Let, said, yeah. Just quickly, I'm looking at the standings now. Let's just go over that really quickly. Galaxy are in eighth place. They're 38 points. Again, they have to be in the top six to make the playoffs. The The line right now, Portland is in sixth place. They're at 44 points, played one fewer game than the Galaxy. Seattle also at 44 points have played two fewer games than the Galaxy. So basically the Galaxy right now are six points out of uh, a playoff spot and both teams have at least one game in hand. So it becomes very difficult. We all saw Lake is in fourth. They've played the same amount of games as the Galaxy, but they're seven points ahead. So actually, you know, when you look at seven points, two wins and a tie, and Salt Lake can't get anything, and then the Galaxy pull even with them. So it's going to be extreme. Impossible? No. The Galaxy have not been eliminated yet. There's still a, a path open for them. But as 538 said, it's a very narrow path, and it's going to be very difficult because not only do the Galaxy have to win, uh, which they haven't done since July, but they have to have these other teams lose, and that's the big problem when you're not in control of your own fate. Well, well, the big that's why there's two big games coming up, and we talked about it. Uh, Seattle coming up on Sunday, and then next Saturday at home, Vancouver Whitecaps, because those are two teams in the Western Conference of which they can keep from getting full points while winning. Uh, I will tell you this right now, though. Seattle Sounders, uh, 99% chance of making the playoffs right now. 99% chance chance of making the playoffs right now in Where's fact, Portland what's uh, the team that doesn't make it yeah that the galaxy would have to pass Portland is at 87 percent 
chance of making the playoffs right now. The, the team that is in between those is the Vancouver Whitecaps at 24% and Real Salt Lake at 83%. All right, so you're looking at uh, Real Salt Lake as the one sort of iffy team that 538 is saying still could possibly miss out on the playoffs. And they sit even on games with the LA Galaxy, which is one of the reasons why their their chances are so low, uh, is because they're even on games, but only one point ahead of Seattle and Portland in terms of uh, the playoff standings. They sit in fourth, uh, Seattle's in fifth, and Portland is in sixth. But uh, Seattle will pick up one of those games in hand on Wednesday, as we talked about, Kevin. So actually, Seattle plays on Wednesday um, at home, and then will come down and take on the LA Galaxy on Sunday. So that's the thing. So if you're looking for a team to drop out here. It's not Portland that 538 thinks is going to drop out. Um, and in fact, it's not even Real Salt Lake, but Real Salt Lake has the lowest chances of those teams to fall out, and the Galaxy need to jump over Vancouver. So if the Galaxy could beat Seattle and then could beat Vancouver, which is a huge, ridiculous, tall ask, but if we're playing in this magical fairyland that we're in right now, if they do that, the Galaxy's chances of making the playoffs increase significantly because they don't think that Real Salt Lake is going to be able to play out um, and stay. So really... There's a battle going on for seeding with the top six teams. And then it's Vancouver and the LA Galaxy. And the LA Galaxy and Vancouver, really, Kevin, are just playing to see which one of those teams, if anybody falls, which one of those teams falls out of that and then possibly somebody could jump into. But right now, 538.com and their standings say that basically the top six are set. That they're well, done. Here's, here's a couple of things. You wanted to end, the, end this on a positive. So looking at the Galaxy's possibilities, looking for a couple of bright spots. One is the Galaxy do, will have a full international break in October. They'll get a, a rest again, as they just had. Didn't seem to do them much good, but they'll have a rest. Uh, you know, injuries have been a problem. Guys will be able to recover from their injuries. We, we missed Sebastian Leggett and, and Giovanni Dos Santos in the last game. Hopefully they're getting better. But So the Galaxy will get the, the full rest. Teams in front of them, Portland, Seattle, they have games to make up. You look at Real Salt Lake. A couple of weeks ago when we went through this, when the Galaxy were, were were in a much better position, Real Salt Lake was the team that I thought the Galaxy would edge out. And I thought that I had Real Salt Lake and the Galaxy finishing with the same amount of points and the Galaxy advancing on goal differential. That's still technically a possibility. Seattle's goal, or Real Salt Lake's goal differential is plus two and the Galaxy is minus five. That's a big difference, but they can make that up. Here's the problem. Uh, if people are looking at Real Salt Lake and saying they could fall out, they're 10-1-4 at home, best record in the conference, 10 wins in 15 games at home. They have three games left at home. On the road, they've lost nine times. They've lost nine times in 14 games. They have four games on the road. So they have more games on the road than they do at home, and – of the playoff contenders, they are the worst team on the road. So that's where the possibilities for the Galaxy get a little bit better. The one problem is the Galaxy do not play Real Salt Lake, so they do not have a chance to to make up points uh, against them. Um, they're going to have to depend on other teams to do that. No, they already had that chance and they lost uh, six to two. Um, was that the game that they lost six to two, or was that just the July fourth game that I was thinking six to two? They also lost that one whenever they went to RSL not too long ago. It, they've all they've all blended together, Kevin. It's that time of the year where I can no longer pick out wins and losses of teams because they all just sort of mix into one uh, stew. Uh, yeah, like we said, uh, the LA Galaxy uh, five games remaining now, Kevin. Just five. I, I will once again tell you my my ridiculous predictions, Kevin. If they win all five of those games, they go to the playoffs. Um, that's I, I think that's easy. That's an easy that's an easy call. Fifteen points. Add fifteen points onto what they have right now. Yeah, they make the playoffs. No problems. 
Um, now, whether or not they could actually do that, uh, that seems pretty impossible. But, but you know what? That doesn't guarantee the playoffs because they would have 50. If they get 15 points, they would have 53, correct? 50, 53. No team has ever gotten, what, 51, 51 points or, or more and not made the playoffs. But no team in the Western Conference has 53 points right now. So technically, you could say that they had a chance. They had, still have a chance to win the conference, which mathematically is true. But even at 53 points, if if Sporting Kansas City wins one more of its game, it passes them. If if Dallas wins a game and ties a game, they pass them. If uh, LAFC wins two of its final six games, they would pass them. So you could see they they could do that. They could win their last five games and still not make the playoffs. That's just how much trouble they're in. I, I think that's impossible. I, I'll tell you right now. I think it's impossible. They win all those games. I think I think they might make it. I think. I, I, well, I, I think yeah. I mean, I think logic tells you that. I'm just saying mathematically. Uh, and again, I, watching you add up those golf scores, no. I know math is not your strong subject, but I'm just saying mathematically they could do that and still not make the playoffs. I don't think that would happen, but mathematically it, it could. Five games remaining for the LA Galaxy. Uh, a game on Sunday, September 23rd, at 4 p.m. Pacific time kickoff against the Seattle Sounders. This game, huge game, huge, huge game. game. Fox Sports One uh, will be carrying this game, so uh, make sure you're out there. I will be there. I think Kevin will be there. Uh, Larry Morgan, not on Twitter, will be there as well. So we'll have that. We're also going to have a Thursday show to get you ready for that game and get you caught up on any you, LA Galaxy news you may have. You know missed. who won't be there? Who won't be there? Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones. I was going to say, Jermaine Jones retired. I keep meaning to talk about it, and we haven't talked about it, but there it was. That's all it really deserves, right? Jermaine you know Jones retired. That's, that's Clint, it. Clint Dempsey. Clint Dem- you know who else probably won't be there? Siggy Schmidt. Oh, no. Well, he'll be watching on TV. Yeah, but he won't be there. I don't. I don't That's think. I, true. I don't think he's going to watch any more games from the from the box anymore. So, Bruce Arena won't be there. Oh, what if Bruce is there? Bruce could be there. Offer him the coaching job. Bruce could be there. Well, I would expect that Bruce. Bruce is there a lot. You might see Dave Sarakin and Bruce Arena at no, this game. Actually, Bruce. Here's oh, here's a piece of news. Did you know that Bruce moved back to Charlottesville, Virginia? I did not know that he moved back. Yeah, uh, he still has his house in Manhattan Beach. Uh, because the grandkids are still there. Kenny Arena is still there with the, the kids. And so the grandkids are still there. They still have the place. They are not renting it out. Um, but uh, Phyllis, uh, Bruce's wife, wanted to go back to Charlottesville. They loved it there. That's where Bruce lived when he coached at the University of Virginia. So they went back to Charlottesville, and that's uh, supposed to be their full-time home now. They were there during the storm. Everything was fine at the Arena household. <laughs> uh, Dave Sarakin has also moved. He is now living in the Bay Area where his son Ian is coaching San Jose State. So um, neither of the the two big Galaxy coaches are even in the same area code anymore as they were when the Galaxy were winning titles. Oh, let's see. Let's see if there's a rumor that can just get us just stirred up a little bit in that direction. I would love to see just everybody melt down over that stuff. That would be fun. All right, good times. Uh, Anything else, Kevin, you got or are we good? Uh... Yeah, no, we're fine. Um, I, again, I apologize for beating you so soundly at golf, but uh, and, and I hope, you know, Mrs. Patacito wasn't too embarrassed by that. But you know, that those things happen. I, I beat you by I think what three strokes because you had a fifty-five and I had a fifty-two, and I five putted from three feet away on one hole. That's how. But it, if I win my final five games, I could still make it. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep keep trying that. We'll see how that works for you. All right. Uh, if you're looking for Mister Kevin Baxter on Twitter, please head on over to at kbaxter11. Uh, that's where you can find him on Twitter, and head on over to latimes.com for all of his coverage of soccer, covers the U.S. Men's National Team, Mexico, anything here in Southern California, LAFC, LA Galaxy. Make sure you follow him right there latimes.com if you're looking for me on twitter it's at jgesman j-g-u-e-s-m-a-n and of course at galaxy podcast 
head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can purchase a scarf. I'll put that link in this podcast. Or, of course, you can head over for all of our articles, our podcasts. Everything else is right there for you. And we're going to try to uh, keep you informed as you go through these last five games of the season. Big game on Sunday for the LA Galaxy against the Seattle Sounders. We'll, of course, get you ready for that on Thursday night, as we always do live right here on cornerofthegalaxy.com. All right, for Mr. Kevin Baxter, Panda himself, I'm Pato Josh Gessman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, Goodbye, everybody.